Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Today, we're going to continue in the Gospel of Mark at the end, uh, with the end of chapter number four, the end of chapter number four, and um, I hope you have a Bible, you have uh, your note sheet there, the words are also on the screen, and we give it to you in every way possible so that you can follow along with God's Word. We've been working hard to grasp who is this man of which Mark writes. That's been the point. So as we open the Bible, we believe it's God's Word, we believe every Word in Scripture is inspired according to the book of 2 Timothy. We believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken through men to write His Word. And so as we open the Bible, we put ourselves under Scripture. We are studying it as a church to learn it, to glean all that we can from it. We're asking questions of it. But this tonight, or this morning, this is not seminary. This is not a college class that you're attending. This is like, uh, it's like triage, if you will. It's like a field hospital. We're, we're coming to God's Word to, and by the help of the Spirit, as you just sang, we're, we're building a bridge so that the text and what the text says helps us, so it goes into our life, so it gives us the care that you would get if you were in a, in a hospital. It's a spiritual hospital today. That's what we're doing with this. And so it's important, just like you go to the hospital and you listen to the doctor as the, they tell you, we listen now to God's Word so it tells us the care that we need. This week we see an important question regarding the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And the question is this, what manner of man is this? What manner of man is this? The truth is we want to ask that question every Sunday, every day. We want to ask that question when we go to Scripture. What manner of man is is this now? Now listen very carefully. A healthy, growing Christian never stops asking that question. A healthy, growing Christian never stops saying and asking, "What manner of man is this?" But the thing about that question is, in some ways, it's a question, but really, it's a statement. It's a it's a question of wonder. It's a question of astonishment. And and if you're here today and you have gone flat in your Christian life, if your Christian life, you're traveling down the road of your Christian life and you've just kind of gone flat, it might be because your theology is a little bit wonky. It might be that your beliefs have gotten a little bit out of line from Scripture But that's probably not the main reason. Here is the main reason that we 
go flat. We feel empty in our Christian life. It is because we have stopped asking the question, what manner of man is this? We've stopped asking. That's the problem. You stopped wondering and living in awe of Jesus. We become bored. And the reason we've stopped growing as a Christian is because we have become bored with Jesus. We stopped asking. And as we gather on Sundays, we gather trying once again to remarvel, to wonder all over again about Jesus, to know who he is, what he's like. And Mark's gospel has been written to help us with that. It's been written to help us to know how Jesus helps us, how Jesus saves us, how Jesus rescues us. And, but today it, it happens in the most unique way, by taking us into a storm. By taking us into a storm. We don't have to be fishermen in the first century to understand that these guys in this boat are losing their mind. <laughs> you don't have to be a fisherman to know that. Look at the text with me. Look at me at verse 35 of Mark chapter 4. The Bible says, And the same day, when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Maybe you're here and you're like me. You need this text today. Maybe you need this. We're going to see three aspects of it today. We're going to see first, perishing in the storm. And then we're going to see the purpose of the storm. And then lastly, we'll finish by seeing the person in the storm. Let's start with perishing. Look at verse 35 again. And the same day, so everything else that had happened in chapter 4, the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side, the other side of Galilee. Now, in Jesus' day, those that grew up around the Sea of Galilee or were fishermen on the sea were used to it. Now, when we talk about the Sea of Galilee, I want you to think more like a big lake, okay? It's the Sea of Galilee is not like the Mediterranean Sea. The Sea of Galilee is the largest freshwater lake in Israel. To give you a little bit of comparison for this, all right? The Sea of Galilee is 64.09 square miles. 
09. Which is about the size of the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C. Okay? About 64 square miles. Lake Michigan is 22,406 square miles, which means you can put almost, literally almost, 350 Sea of Galilees into Lake Michigan. Or as my kids would call it when they were little, Michigan Lake. 350 Sea of Galilee. So it is a big lake. Now, the problem with the Sea of Galilee is the western shore is very gently sloping, and the eastern side, the eastern shore, has steep cliffs, which means it causes a, a, a problem when winds begin to pick up. But I do want you to see some of the pictures. We're going to kill some of the lights. We'll put some pictures up. I was on the Sea of Galilee last year, as you might know. These are some pictures of the Sea of Galilee. Here you see the gently sloping uh, hills on one side of the Sea of Galilee. We'll just keep rolling through them. There's uh, my expertise photography right there. Um, there's some random boat. There's some more pictures of the Sea of Galilee. You can see the shore all the way over. It's not that big. We have any more? There's some others. Uh, I think this is a little bit of a video uh, that'll, that'll pan some of the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's just a big lake. Now, this, it, by the way, it's, it's gorgeous. It's spectacular to look at, to see uh, the scenery around, the, the landscaping around. But here on the Sea of Galilee, something difficult takes place. Something perilous takes place. Verse 36 again. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. Now, ship, I, I want you to think boat. But by the way, can I just add an interesting fact about this? This is one of the texts that people often say, this gives you a picture as to why we believe in the care of the gospel writers. They add information that's not all that important, like all these other little ships that are traveling along. Or Jesus is sleeping, but he's now sleeping on a pillow, as the text said. But I want you to see uh, some pictures we're going to put on the screen of a boat from the first century. This is a boat that was discovered in 1986. Let's just keep that right there for a little bit. This is a boat that is dated now all the way back to the first century. It's called the Jesus Boat. It's in a little museum right on the Sea of Galilee, there in, right outside Tiberias. And this boat was discovered, and it traced back, and they say anywhere from 50 B.C. to 50 A.D. So those years there, this is where it dates. And so it's called the Jesus Boat because they believe it was a boat that would have been on the Sea of Galilee in the time of Christ. I'm not saying this is the boat that Jesus was on that night, but about 15 people, grown men, can fit on that boat. There's enough space in the back of the boat for somebody to lay down. So I want you to picture for a moment, I want you to picture yourself being on a boat like that in the middle of a storm. Now you look at that boat, There's it actually would not float because they, they're not able to piece the whole thing back together, okay? So that's the first piece. But this gives you a visual of a first century boat on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to keep going. The, the text tells us that they took Jesus, in verse 36, even as he was. 
So Jesus gets in the boat even as he was. What does that mean? He has gone from teaching all day. He's exhausted. He hasn't, he may not have eaten. He may not have taken a nap. And he literally goes from teaching all day into this boat, even as he was. Now you say, but Jesus is God. He is the God-man. He is truly God, truly man. He feels and experiences all that humanly we experience. So he, after teaching all day, and I can attest to what it means to teach for a couple hours and how tired you are. Jesus has been teaching all day. They take him even as he was. They take him into this boat. There's a bunch of other little ships that are traveling along with him. And 37 tells us, there arose a great storm of wind and the, we, the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Full of what? People and water. It's not a good mix for a boat. The Sea of Galilee being 704 feet below sea level, by the way. It's the third lowest lake by sea level. Number two is the Dead Sea. Number one's in Antarctica. So in Israel, there are the two of the three of the lowest sea level. And so remember I told you about the cliffs? It causes an, an incredible problem of high winds, which can cause violent storms to develop on the lake. In fact, in 1992, there was a storm that generated 10-foot-high waves on the lake. On a lake, not an ocean, on the lake. 10-foot-high waves that caused damage to the city of Tiberias, which if you go with me to Israel ever, you'll stay in Tiberias. And so this storm, and to understand the, the, the gravity of the storm, it's not just that the winds picked up and that it was a little bit gusty, the Greek word used here was that, by the way, the Greek word used here is used in other literature to, from that day, that time to speak of a hurricane. So this is a very fierce storm, hurricane-like storm. The waves beating the ship, filling the ship, the boat with water. And I don't know about you, there's two places I have no desire to be during a storm. One is in the air. And one is on a boat. In fact, there are two places I don't want to be when it's sunny. One is in the air and one is in a boat. I like my feet on stable ground. But here, these guys are in danger. And they look to the back of the boat. And verse 38 says, and he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, Carest thou not that we perish. Mark 8, or excuse me, Matthew 8 speaks of it as well. At the end of verse 25, Lord, save us, we perish. These guys, in the middle of this storm, this great storm, have this thought we're dead. We're dead. We're finished. And our master is asleep. Now, maybe you know someone who can sleep through anything. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, and these guys are saying, Lord, we're not going to make it out of this. And Jesus is sleeping. Luke's gospel speaks of this in verse, chapter 8, verse 23. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, 
and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. I actually like that. They're in jeopardy. They're gonna die. Pause here for a moment. You know, life is brutally hard. Life is hard. It's full of problems. It's full of storms. Most of them are regular type of difficulties, discouragement, setbacks and sickness and me not getting the job you want, friends moving away, car breaks down. I mean, it's all tough in its own way and it all piles up. But some can testify to how they've just been rowing through life in the ordinary way in which fishermen would row on the Sea of Galilee, the lake of life, we've been traveling along, and then, boom, all of a sudden, a storm hits us. A storm hits us. And it's crashing, the waves are crashing against us, it's filling up the boat, and we literally think in that moment, I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to perish. It's too hard, too painful. I'm not going to make it. It may not be a physical watery grave, but something mental, and emotional, and psychological. It might be a family situation. It might be work-related. It might be in your marriage. It might be with your children. It could be sickness. It could be chronic problems. It could be death. It could be grief. It could be financial. And the truth is there are some here right now and you are sitting there and you're saying, I'm in that storm. And I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can face tomorrow. And I'll just be honest with you, I don't ever want to take the posture or the tone from this pulpit that makes you feel like I'm ever saying to you to get your act together. I don't ever want for our church to be uncaring, but I do desire for a passage like this to give us hope. If you're here today in a storm, to stabilize you to encourage you. Maybe you're here today and you sang and you smiled and you talked, but deep down you thought, I'm perishing. I am dying. You may not be there now, but God knows it's going to come at some point. And at some point, each of us will experience what the disciples are going through a perilous storm washing over them, and they don't think they're going to make it through. Let's move into a question that should arise. What's the purpose? What's the purpose of the storm? Look back at 38 again. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, Carest thou not that we perish? Jesus is in the stern. I was blessed to have a grandfather who was in the Navy. He was a captain in the Navy. And every time we get on the boat, 
on a boat with him in some ways. He lived by the ocean, so we'd get on my uncle's boat often. And my grandfather would always, always, as all good grandfathers do, he'd talk to his grandkids about what's going on, right? Told us this is the bow, this is the stern, this is how you tie up to the dock, this is how you do this, this is how you do that. Jesus is in the stern, and I'm not sure what the bedding looked like, but he's asleep on a pillow, like a kid in a car. (laughs) That's how I think of it. And we might find it fascinating that it is in this storm. By the way, it's in this storm in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the only time that we learn about Jesus sleeping is in this storm. And here we are seeing the fear and the the worry of the disciples. Verse 39 says, after they awoke him, verse 39, and he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now before I go further, I want to ask you, As you read the story, have you thought yet about Jonah? The Old Testament story of Jonah. There's a lot of parallels to Mark 4 and to Jonah. Jonah goes into a boat, right? He falls asleep. A great storm comes. Something happens to the storm to calm it. Don't lose Jonah from your mind for a little while, all right? We're going to come back to him. In verse 39, it's similar. But I want you to notice what Jesus does. He speaks to the storm like it's a person. He said unto the sea, he rebuked the wind. He speaks, if you will, and not in any unkind way, but think of it as a parent may speak to a child. And Jesus says, peace be still. The word for peace is not like the Apostle Paul saying grace and peace. The, the, the force of the words that Jesus says there, peace be still, it's like saying be silent. Be silent. Peace Be silent, be still. Be still is like to muzzle or to close the mouth of the storm. What is Jesus doing here? I don't want you to miss this. He's treating the storm like he treated the demon in chapter 1. Do you remember what happened in chapter 1? When Jesus went into the synagogue and the Bible says that he rebuked the unclean spirit he rebuked it verse 25 of mark 1 he rebuked him saying hold thy peace hold thy peace and come out of him what does jesus do he muzzles he shuts the mouth of the demon and so what happens in this text is jesus shows us in his important parallel from mark 1 to mark 4 That Jesus has total, stay with me now, he has total authority. In Mark 1, it was over the supernatural. In Mark 4, it's over the natural. 
In Mark 1, it's over the seen, the visible, or the, the invisible. Jesus has power over what's not visible to us, and he has power over what is visible to us. Total authority. He's the sovereign one over all creation, over the unseen and the seen. So what is Jesus after here? What's the purpose of this? Look at verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Now, I want to I wanna deal with this for just a moment. Try to, if, if I lost you, let me get you back for a moment, okay? If you're scrolling, stop scrolling and get back to me. If I was in that storm, and if you were there, or you got the diagnosis, or you got the news from work, or you had the mental-emotional breakdown, or you had the marriage struggle, or you dealt with, with death and grief and pain and suffering and fear, you would be afraid. And the last thing you would need from any of us is for us to say to you, why are you so afraid? And so Jesus says, why are you so fearful? I want to ask you, when was the last time that you consciously remember being afraid? I would assume that most of us could say in the last seven days, we've been afraid of something. Something. Maybe someone. But something has come in our life. Something woke us up at two in the morning. Something, the moment we got up, first thing, we thought about it and were worried or afraid. Why are you so fearful? What would have made sense, actually, is Jesus saying something like this. Why are you so afraid? Don't you have any courage? Why are you afraid? Where's your boldness? And we're told in the Bible to be courageous. So why doesn't Jesus say, why aren't you courageous? Where's your courage? What's the difference in courage and faith? Courage is inward looking. I can do this. I can make it. Faith is outward looking. He can do this. He can help me make it. The truth is, a lot of us have courage in some places, and some of us have courage, and we're lacking courage in a lot of places. Jesus does not say, why are you so afraid? Have courage. Honestly, it wouldn't have been bad. He wouldn't have been wrong to say it. God commanded that of Joshua. In Joshua 1, he said, and we read this every Sunday last year, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Right? Neither be thou dismayed. For you are impressive. Is that how it finishes? 
Neither be thou dismayed, for you're strong. You're gifted. You're educated. You're built for this. But that's not what the verse says. You can have courage, Joshua, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So even God doesn't say to Joshua, have courage, look inward. God says to Joshua, be courageous. It's a call to faith because God is with you, Joshua. Now I'm building something here and I want you to not miss it. Jesus says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So what's the purpose of the storm? What is Jesus calling them to see? What is Jesus doing? Is he he mocking them? Is he scolding them? Is Is he belittling them? No, Jesus is saying to them by his questions, your eyes are on a storm. Your eyes are on a boat. Your eyes are on the sea. Your eyes are on the wind. Your eyes are on the circumstance of water coming into your boat. Your eyes are in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. Now let's go to the last part. The person in the storm. The truth is there's a way to read, to preach this text that I refuse to do, but I've had it done to me. And maybe you have too. Here's the way that we would often preach a text like this. Here's the way many would preach a text. You have storms in your life. Have faith, not fear. Let's pray. I'm not doing that because that message in that way eviscerates or even weakens the point of the text. It's like going to lunch today and only getting the hors d'oeuvres, but not the meal. I have given you up to this point the hors d'oeuvres of the text. Let me give you the main course. Now think with me, if I stood here today and I pounded my fist and I said, come on, you guys, have faith. You'd be sitting there going, I'm trying. (laughs) I'm trying. The point of the text is not have faith over fear. That is true, but it's not the point of the text. The point of the text is actually very simple. It's to ask about Jesus. It's to marvel at Jesus. And so let's pause for a moment and let's consider something. If I, and by the way, can I just say, many of you all read your Bible. You try to read your Bible every day. Let me tell you the best way to read your Bible. Slowly. Slowly. And you go, that would be a, That'd be a problem. I'd be asleep in a matter of moments. Read the Bible slowly. And I'm curious, if I asked you without looking at the text, when did the disciples really become afraid? When did they really become afraid? 
Was it in the storm? Was it when the water was filling the boat? When did they become afraid? Look at verse 41. And they feared exceedingly. And they feared exceedingly. But verse 41, the storm has been calmed. There's no wind. The water's not filling the boat anymore. Surely the storm made him afraid like it would make me afraid. But the realization of who Jesus is really made them afraid after the storm was calm. They feared exceedingly, which begs for you and I to consider the looming question of the text. It's implied in the text, and that is this. The question for us is not, what then is this storm? The question of the text is, who then is in my boat? The question of your life is not, what's up with the storm? What's up with the problem? What's up with the pain? What's up with the fear? What's up with the, with the, with the, the loss and the grief and the worry and the anxiety and the struggle? The question of life is not about the storm. The question is, who's in my boat? It's who's in my boat? It's not about the diagnosis, although that matters. It's not about the loss. That matters. The biggest question is, who is this with me? And when they saw what Jesus did, the text said they were exceedingly afraid. Exceedingly fearful. Fearful beyond fear. Who is the one that is in my boat rebuking, stopping, calming the storm? So much so in verse 41 that they, the text said, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples went through a storm and they did not say, wow, have you ever gone through a storm like that? They did not say, wow, that was crazy. They went through the storm and said, who is this guy? Who is this man? And what is he like? But I had a, a thought this week that bothered me, and I'm just going to confess it to you. And I wonder if you've had it this morning with me. We're almost done, so just bear with me. Almost done means nothing in the church, just so you know. But bear with me for a moment. Here was my frustration. As I sat and worked through this text, and I prayed for so many in this room, and I thought about your storms, My thought was this. It's nice for the disciples. I'm happy for them. I'm happy that the storm stopped. But what about those in the room 
through the storm doesn't seem to be stopping. The grief isn't going away. The tears keep flowing. The loss is deep. The pain is real. The diagnosis is alarming. And it doesn't seem to be going away. What about that storm? And I was frustrated. And I had to confess. What, is, what do I do with that? What do I encourage you to do with that? Maybe you're thinking like I thought. This is a great story. It's, it's phenomenal. But for some of our storms right now, it doesn't feel all that helpful. And let me tell you what I will not say to you today, those of you that are in a storm. I will not say that if you just get enough faith, calm will come and better circumstances will come in your life. That would be abusing the office of a pastor because I cannot promise you that the storm will stop. I can't do it. I'm not permitted to. What I will do and what the church family should do and can do and I believe will do is that we pray that God would bring calm over your storm. That your storm may continue and it may not go away and truthfully it may continue until your last breath. But I want to invite you to go back to that question. Fight with all that you have in you to ask the question, who is the man who is in my boat? And here's the thought that I had that I'll share with you. It's a, maybe an unfair question. And maybe you would answer in a way that you know is the wrong answer, but your temptation is to. Here's the question. Would you rather have a fierce, raging storm in your life with Jesus or great calm? without Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you go, well, my temptation is to be like, yeah, I'd like it really easy. But you know what happens in the storm? When you wake up tomorrow morning and you make it through another day, by the grace of God, by the mercy and the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, you make it through tomorrow and you pillow your head at night and you say, who is the man who's in the boat with me? By His grace, I made it another day. And I made it another day. And I made it another day. It didn't mean that the storm wasn't hard. It just meant that in the storm you were made more aware of Jesus. You were just made more aware of Jesus. So the question today for us is not, how awful is your storm? The question is, how awesome is your Savior? It's not how awful is your storm. Although don't take that as no compassion. It's just not the right question. The right question is, how awesome is your Savior? That's the question. Because we think that true joy is found in the absence of storms. 
But the real joy is found in the reality of our Savior. And so what is it like? What is the Jesus like who's with us in the boat? Let me go back to something I've not even addressed yet, and I'll address it quickly and we'll finish. Verse 38. Do you see those words? Maybe you cried these words to the Lord in recent days. Master, carest thou not that we perish? You could ask the question, Jesus, do you not care what I'm going through? And many times for us, that would be a fair question, wouldn't it? Be a fair question. But here's the text. Here's the point of that question being answered. Jesus cares for you. Jesus cares for you. You say, but Dustin, look at the storm. It does not seem like he cares. And today, I'm, I'm... I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I can barely sit here and even listen, I can barely sing, I can barely even get here today. Jesus cares for you. I personally stand here, I rest everything that I believe in this life on the fact that Jesus cares for you. And the truth is, in my life and in yours, We are unceasingly wandering and He is unceasingly caring. He cares. Jesus is not the one that cares for you you from a distance. You say, how does Jesus care for me? Let me give you a picture. Jesus cares for you the same way. The same way Your hand bandages your knee when you fall. So what do you mean? The hand puts a bandage on the knee because it's one body. Your hand cares about your knee. When you came to Christ, when you came to faith in Christ, you came into Christ and we are one body. When I hurt, Jesus hurts. When I cry, I weep, Jesus weeps. Jesus cares for you. Now, He's not looking over you. He's not ignoring you. Jesus cares. You say, well, prove it. I want you to quickly go back. I've got three paragraphs in here. I'll read them to you. I want you to think about Jonah again. How did they calm the storm? They calmed the storm by throwing Jonah into the sea, right? You know what's interesting about Mark 4? Nobody was thrown into the sea and went down into the depths of the sea like Jonah. At least not yet. So how do I know Jesus cares for me? Well, there's a storm in Mark 4. There's a storm in Mark 6. But the end of Mark, the whole reason Mark is written, is because Jesus entered into the worst storm. He entered into the worst storm. When Jesus went to the cross, He entered into the only storm that could hurt us eternally. And He offers 
each of us the calm of salvation. How do I know Jesus cares? Because he went into the storm to die in my place and in your place. And no matter, no matter what I go through, there is no storm like the one Jesus went through on my behalf. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, the Christian gospel is simple. It is not grab a ladder and climb your way to God by good works. It is not have faith in the storm. The Christian gospel is this. We were all on the sea of life doomed by the storm of our sins and the judgment of God. Jesus came onto that sea. And Jesus operated in the exact way that the Father called him to act in perfect righteousness. And he went to the cross. He died in our place to pay for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day, proving himself to be God and the only one who can pay for our sins. And so Jesus, the all-caring Savior, invites sinners to Him. Jesus, the all-caring Savior, is the hurricane rebuker. He is the one who cares for you. And so as you go through life, the question is not, what about the storm? The question is, what about the Savior? What about the Savior? Who's in your boat? Who's in your boat? I know it's difficult, but who's in your boat? If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you don't have to live this life alone. Jesus is for you. He died for you. He will save you. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.